0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Beside the Tracks with Mohawk Turtle Clan Andrew Brandt. Today, we have Sue and Gittemann Clan, Deli McHale, with us. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good, thanks, Andrew. How are you?
0: I'm doing really well. So I've known you for a little while. I've been following your Instagram page for a while, actually, um, like maybe a year or so, maybe a little bit longer, but um, you've been at it for a while. You've been speaking to a lot of really important people around the world, Um, you've spoken at the UN. Um, So give us a little bit of insight, what it's like to um, talk to these people in that colonial type government.
1: Uh, It's been interesting. I think um, when I first started out, I had a very optimistic view and thought that somehow I was going to be able to um, change things from within uh, I do a lot of work with labor organizations. So I had hoped that maybe I was going to affect um, people's hearts in within that system. But then I came to realize that it's, it's all just, it's all run under the same system. It's all still the colonial capitalist system and the same um, structures within those systems. So even, you know, there are certain human rights organizations that still run under those same models. So I don't think that um, change can really be made um, within that structure.
0: Absolutely agree with you on that point. I've actually had a couple of people approach me just since the um, governor general resigned and asked me, do you think it would be best if there was an indigenous woman put in as the governor general? And I said, at the same token, putting an indigenous person in a colonial spot is still perpetuating their system
1: yeah exactly yeah it's uh it's it's hard to see because um or i guess it's it's difficult to recognize for some people because some people do have a such a colonized mindset i think um that they somehow think that you know our systems are going to be able to work cohesively or be able to integrate with one another And I think that the systems are so completely different that we don't need to integrate the systems and put them together, but rather have them work side by side. And I don't think that that's actually going to happen while one system is quite a ways um, or we've been left behind essentially, and we're not even taken into consideration unless we operate under that colonial capitalist system, which isn't possible if we want to be able to keep who we are.
0: Absolutely. And being able to keep who we are means being able to deal with this on a nation to nation basis and not with those um, chiefs and councils that they implemented through the colonial system, but the actual heirs to the land and to the territory and all those, all those people that are still alive and are shouting out, listen, here we are, we still need to do this our way. We're still sovereign nations that need to be dealt with. Right. So then when it comes to putting indigenous people into those uh, positions of colonial power, it really doesn't do anything anyways because they're still subjected to the policies of that colonial power. And, uh, you know, there's an interior secretary in the now, she's indigenous, that's great. Um, But we've also seen politicians walk out up here because they were like, you know what? It can't be done. It can't be done by changing from the outside or from the inside. We We gotta come at it hard from the (laughs) <laughs> from the outside it's built right into it and we look at right into it yeah. their whole yeah. system is based on genocide and their whole entire police force the rcmp is like birthed from it their whole entire intent was to clear the lands of indigenous people and that still continues to this day it takes very 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 many different faces um but it still continues the same way to this day yep um, it does so,
1: and um Oh, I was just going to say, I I think that um, that's such an important point to make, and I think that that's why this, like the whole, what we're seeing here with pipelines and with um, reoccupations of land, like land back, and what we're seeing out further east with, um, you know, the RCMP standing by as, as people are attacking uh, fishermen out there, that entire, um, all of those things are are part of a bigger picture. It's a, it's a part of uh, the RCMP still doing exactly what they're meant to do, and we can see that they're they're not out to serve and protect because they don't actually um, serve everybody. They don't protect everybody. Um, mm-hmm. We have had so many women disappear on the Highway of Tears in Northwestern, so-called BC, um, within Wet'suwet'en territory, actually. And the RCMP were never there. They didn't follow up. We had most recently, um, a young woman named Jessica Trick was found murdered. And it was absolutely abhorrent, the fact that the RCMP and the Major Crimes Unit um, told her family that they were finding answers and they gave them an actual deadline as to when they were going to give updates and they didn't get any of those updates. Um, They had to continually press the Major Crimes Unit for information and it's the same thing that I've seen with the uh, Civilian Review Complaints Board and um, the same thing that Cody Merriman has seen. Um, so it's we recognize that these structures, the the colonial police forces, are not put in place to serve and protect. Um, that's actually you know the the opposite of what they do. And um, yeah, it's it's incredibly frustrating because I think a lot of people still want to have a really optimistic. Um, view, or a lot of people maybe don't actually want to see the truth, right?
0: Right. So, So, uh, the truth
1: is a really, really difficult thing
0: to... Yeah, it's a really difficult thing for a lot of people to swallow, and then we see women rise up in the ranks of the RCMP as well, and then they find out that it's misogynistic. It's not built for them either. It's not just Indigenous people, but then even if Indigenous women, it's even worse. When it comes down to that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. right? So yeah. you'll see that as soon as people yeah. enter it, they see it, it's in a hierarchy that's meant to destroy, and it's yeah. based on male white supremacy.
1: Yeah, exactly. It is. I mean, you look at the number of women that uh, filed the class action suit um, within the RCMP. Uh, it's. Right. It's there and it's acknowledged, but it, what are people actually doing about it?
0: Right. And one of the things that I saw the the commissioner, Brenda Lucky, Lukey, uh when she said, when she said there was no um, like misogyny or there was no systemic racism and everybody just turned around and said, you need to resign because that's what your whole entire thing is built out of it's based and it's steeped in, yeah. in genocide. <laughs> so when you see people of color going into those professions, what are, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, it's it's disappointing, and I think that the way that I see it is, I mean, I look at the the teachings that I've had throughout my life, and I see people doing what they feel they need to do, or um, dealing with uh, colonialism as best they can um, to their to the best of their abilities, right? Not everybody is going to be, um, feel strong enough to be able to uh, be exactly who they are. Not everybody is going to feel strong enough to fight colonialism. And I think that that's, that's the part of what I always want to be able to do on the page, on the Instagram page, is be able to um, uplift people and inspire people. And I want people to be able to see that this is that we're, we're humans. And I mean, we've dealt with 500 years of oppression and intergenerational trauma and ongoing, uh, reoccurring trauma inflicted by the, you know, the settler state. And so I think that um, some of us are able to stand up and speak out and, you know, recognize that those systems are never going to work for us and others do still have that very optimistic view that they're going to somehow change it from within or they have their heads in the sand and don't want to see the violence that is enacted upon us over and over again so I mean it's it's disappointing but I understand that people need to take their own path right like since I've been here in your territories um I've heard a lot about uh, the great law and people being autonomous and of free will. And so I recognize and I respect that people are on their own paths. Um, People like you and I um, that have platforms and are able to use them can maybe somehow connect with those people though and to help them recognize that They're not alone and that we have a really strong supportive community um and that we will be able to stand with each other and fight um colonialism together and hopefully they'll step away from that system in in time i guess
0: exactly part of that fighting the colonialism part of that is getting that inside of you and understanding and starting to learn again because like you said earlier about the generational trauma it's within us it's been in there for years, like through the generations it's been instilled. Um, I watched um, an interview a few days ago where it spoke about um, where this guy, he was not indigenous, he spoke about, he didn't understand what the seven generations concept was. And he said, well, um, well if, it's, if it was so good for them then, why do you need to fix it now? You know, if they were doing that, and the response for me is, well, you know what? Seven generations ago, They didn't have what we're dealing with now. You know, we have to go back to all those teachings, all those things that they gave us. So yes, what they did seven generations ago and before that is exactly what they intended to do because we're still carrying it on to this day. And some people like have the strength to push through and, you know, fight that fight. And then there's the people that are still behind them. They don't necessarily have that strength, but they're still there. And that's what props people like you, like me, like all of us up. You know, is the people, and that's what that hierarchical government doesn't understand is how they can still be out there doing this. You know, it looks like we're alone, but we're not alone. You know, yeah. And that's the way that all of our nations worked. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly, and and I think that um, taking away that um, taking away the that hierarchical, you know, patriarchal structure and bringing it back to our, our own ways and making sure that we support each other and not, you know, that we have respectful conversations, that we don't talk down to each other, that we don't judge other people that are not in place in their journey. Um, I think those things are are incredibly important in order to be able to move forward in a in a really positive manner. And I mean, nobody's perfect. There are plenty of times where I've, you know seeing people and you my automatic thought is you know this person is sold out um <laughs> but I, I just have to i have to stand back and think you know would would my you know would my my uncle roy who formerly held the name Was, would he think that or you know would he judge anybody would my grandparents judge anybody would you know my tsaka would they you know make that judgment and? Most of the time, it's no. Like they, they recognize that that people, you know, are are doing what they can, and it might not be to to our standards or to our liking, or they might not be in anywhere near the same place as we are. But and I, I don't think, obviously, you know, we're anywhere near done our work. Like, are we ever going to be done our work? Or, like, hopefully, one day.
0: Um, For sure. I just have to keep on turning off my uh, my video because I want to make sure that we get the audio perfect on here. <laughs> so okay. I was getting a little bit of feedback. So um, okay. if this shows up, I'm still here um, listening and we're recording. So <laughs> um, just wanted to let you okay. know because I done at it. So um, I think that, you know, it's really important that everybody understands that you know, we have that sense of individuality among all of our nations, within all of our people, because it's been instilled in us um, ever since we were younger, it's part, it's cultural, you know, it's part of who we are, it makes us who we are, and then being part of those clan families, you know, is really important, because we don't just have that nuclear family, we have that broad sense of our aunties raising us, and our uncles taking us out, yeah. and all those different things, you know, so yeah. that's all across Turtle Island, and yeah, you know, for people to understand that and see that. And then that's, that's the reason why I started this, uh, this series with a woman. And I make sure that I have a woman on here constantly to even things out, because that's the way that things are supposed to be. Balanceness starts with women, you know? So that's why also it's Indigenous women that need to have their voices heard even more so now, because, you know, all these things coming out about police brutality and you know, the racism and the white supremacy and all this and now um, with pipelines and all this and that. Well, you know, there's a rise in the murders, the rapes, uh, people, the women, children going missing around those areas. You know, it's the man camps are a big, big part of that. You yeah, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, there, I mean, they had the, uh, the United Nations had the special rapporteur come chem- up to our territories and um, one of the UN special rapporteurs had come up to so-called Canada probably about I don't know it would have been 12 or 15 years ago and I haven't heard anything about the findings or what, what the special rapporteur has said specifically um, in, in this case I'm pretty sure that they just reiterated what they had uh, reported back 12 or 15 years ago, and that was that the, um, the violence, the rates of violence in areas where there are man camps and resource extraction projects are accelerated and um, I guess multiplied by a, the one report was there, there were, I think it was 70% more reported incidents of violence against women. In the area where um, Mount Milligan is, so which is also up in in northern, it's in Carrier Territory, um, Decal, I believe, and so I mean the the reported rates of violence, and that's just the reported rates. I think that that's something to make very very clear.
0: Right, that's the reported. Um, rate.
1: We know, you know, yeah. According to statistics, the majority of women don't actually report and so i mean the i can't imagine the the amount of um the amount of violence that goes unreported it takes a really strong person to be able to report things and and um for you know a number of years ago he had actually witnessed um uh an incident of violence while he was on his on his tour so I thought it was really interesting that that didn't seem to gain um, a lot of media time, but at the same time, I'm I'm not, I guess, that surprised because I know that media is put out by, uh, you know, by these and, you know, the exact same people who are are backing, you know, big industry projects like Coastal Gas Link, like Sightsee Dam, like you know any of the major extraction or industry projects out there those same people own the media so they put out whatever they want to and whatever messaging they want to which is why I think a platform like yours is so incredibly important.
0: Yeah yours as well that's um, like I learn a lot of stuff too from your platform and you know because it's so broad you cover everything on there (laughs) and um, also one of the things too you were talking about uh, statistics and the statistics are high around Uh, missing and murdered women but it's also high around incarceration levels too right so we've seen a lot more incarcerated women indigenous women than we do non-indigenous and even indigenous men
1: yep yeah actually um, when i was i was down i went to a international civil and human rights conference with labor organization that i've done work with and at the conference, I had the opportunity to um, sit in as a guest speaker for a two-part workshop that was about mass incarceration. And they had primarily focused because it's it's um, primarily in the so-called United States. Um, they had primarily focused previously on on incarceration rates of Black men, and they, knowing that I was coming to the conference and um, I was doing a workshop on Missing Murdered Indigenous Women, Um, they asked me to come and sit in on that, and actually I got to sit in on a, a, what was it, I think it was um, uh, ecological, was it ecological justice, environmental justice workshop, so I mean. The fact that I got to sit in and do that workshop and see them all tied together at an international civil and human rights conference was really—it was really important to me. And one of the things that um, we talked about was the—the the fact that this, you know, the—the the, the incarceration rate—it's being so high there. Um, black men in general are are deemed, uh, you know, a the colonial system has has um, put, I guess, a stigma on on Black males as them being a threat. And I think that's, you know, it's something that we look at up here with Indigenous women. Indigenous women are seen as a threat. Right. Um, and especially now, I mean, more, more and more Indigenous women are, are taking the lead um, in front lines movements in you know, speaking out, being vocal about things. And I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that that's just, uh, you know, it's just happened. I think that it's after us recognizing that if we don't start speaking out now, that, you know, we'll we'll continue to be the targets, we'll continue to be the people that are, are most likely to go missing or be murdered. Um, so we don't really have a choice. And so the the criminalization of Indigenous women is, I think, a part of a, like a systemic plan, I guess, to, um, to invalidate what we see and to silence us. And it's the same with the inaction on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. If you can criminalize and put fear into a certain demographic that is deemed a threat, then there's a less likely chance that those people will speak out, right? Or so they hope.
0: Yes, absolutely. And um, it's not a mistake either that they would target Indigenous women specifically uh, because when the government got here, they observed what our governance system ran by, how it ran. And it was all matrilineal, went through the women and everything. The women were the be all end all. So they knew right away, okay, if we start targeting these women, then we can start breaking Mm -hmm. their society down. If we can break the hearts of the women, we can break the hearts of the men. They'll fall, everything will fall down. But then that kind of of spun around in their face, didn't it? (laughs) Because now that we have all these women (laughs) rising up, and saying, no, 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 wait, that's not how it goes, (laughs) you know? Because even from 1867 legislation was completely stripping people away, you know? Like, uh, just taking the children, you know, the RCMP, go all all the way back to the RCMP again, ripping the children away from their mothers, taking them away to these schools and, you know, like dehumanizing people, you know? Yeah. Um, So they knew exactly what they were doing when they targeted indigenous women. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, it's um, it was a. Uh, I guess it, my my experiences have been pretty um, pretty eye opening in in general. Um, my personal experiences and my experiences like working within different organizations. Um, I you know was able to speak eleven years ago at a human rights conference and. out of 500 delegates at the conference um only two of us put up um against indigenous women and the other person put up missing indigenous women as human rights issues and that was with um that was actually with the canadian labor congress and So out of 500 delegates, you know, and say 400 of them filled out these, these pieces of paper that they handed around asking what a human rights issue was in Canada that they, that we haven't seen dealt with. And so this was before the inquiry. Um, And so when myself and the other person put those two things, those, those two main points focusing on Indigenous women and the violence against Indigenous women um when we put them up they called uh they called on us but uh the other person didn't answer so i got stuck with the uh, responsibility of holding a caucus and in the caucus i i told my story um about my i've had um oh i've had three of my first cousins go missing on the highway of tears um and a foster sister reported murdered in the downtown east side of Vancouver and one of my childhood friends that I went to camp with and played softball with and hung out at the arcade with uh, was found murdered when I was 16. So I mean I've had five six women in in my life that have been either directly or very closely related to me um, go missing or, or be murdered um, and so when I spoke about that at the conference, it was, it was shocking to people. And I said, all that tells me is that you haven't had contact with a lot of Indigenous people, because it would be every single person knows of somebody who has had uh, a loved one, uh, you know, a woman or a girl yep. go missing or be found murdered in, in their lives. Yep. And so it, it began, you know, the Canadian Labour Congress started focusing on working with Stolen Sisters and uh, the Red Dress Project, and they started pushing for action because I said we can we can sit and we can talk all day about these um, about these truths, but unless people are actually doing things to find right. um, find solutions for them, they're going to continue happening and. Mm-hmm basically it's just it's lip service if you don't right. do anything about it or you don't start making a plan as to how we're going to address it um and yeah they're uncomfortable subjects all of them are uncomfortable subjects like
0: absolutely they are that's that's the whole point of bringing them up you know they yeah. need to be cool with yeah yeah like yeah it's just insane and then when we when things come out like what the united nations finds canada guilty on genocide and then I believe Cindy Blackstock, they, she took uh, Canada, the Human Rights Tribunal, and they found them guilty there as well for abuse against Indigenous children. So it's ongoing, right? So what is, it, what is it like when we see things like Bill C-15 come out and they say, okay, well, you can talk to people, but we don't necessarily have to get your consent, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So they're turning everything into okay well yeah it happened but well we're gonna go ahead and do this anyways like yeah it's perpetuating
1: exactly and i think that that um the the concept of consent uh the <laughs> the very close correlation there of um you know missing murdered indigenous women and resource extraction projects or industry coming into terria into territories that close correlation is not lost on me. Like the fact that they're, you know, they're not acknowledging or recognizing consent because there is a complete lack of respect for our people, whether it be, um, you know, recognizing that the atrocities that have occurred with missing and murdered Indigenous women, that, um, you know, the the higher rates of violence enacted upon Indigenous women are so closely intertwined and so closely linked with, the, the lack of consent on our territories and the violence enacted to our territories because we are, you know, we're one in the same and I recently was able to sit down with some of um, some of the elders from here um, and have a conversation with Lauren and Francis. And like. I sat and talked with them, and and they said, you know, that I think Francis's words were, um, you can't you can't jail um, a rock, you can't jail the land, you can't jail the water. He said, so how can you how can you try and jail our own people on our own land because we are all of those things. We're so closely connected to all of those things. And they talked about our women and the important role that our women, you know, all of our women play and how they have, you know, we've always been um, focused on ensuring that there is the ultimate respect paid to our, the women like within our systems. And the fact that, you know, that's completely overlooked and not, you know, it's, it's not just overlooked I think that it's intentionally um that women are intentionally disrespected as you said right you
0: know it was like a tool geez. right it's a tool to completely abolish us to completely get rid of us and it's you know because at that point they realized that you know we can't just kill them off it's not working killing mm-hmm. them off isn't working they're still here they're still fighting back so what do we do to make it look like we're helping them. Oh, we'll make these schools. We'll do this and we'll do that. And we'll say, we'll give them these things. But in fact, what it's doing is putting those walls up for the jail cells, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, these like any sort of legislation that is put in place, like, again, it's just within the colonial capitalist system. And I think by strengthening our own um, hereditary systems and our own traditional systems that we can, you know, we, we make a stronger stand by doing that um, than we would, you know, by trying to dismantle something that's already had 500 years of, of being built. Um, you know, we can focus on their system, which, you know, I, I don't think is, is going to work. We look at things like people wanted the implementation of UNDRIP into legislation in BC, and it it didn't do anything
0: right um more i mean than anything else
1: <laughs> yeah i they're performative you know these are performative actions and it's to basically take the heat off themselves and it's so you, you can't you can't ever think that those those systems are going to somehow benefit us because they're still entrenched in the colonial capitalist system Right. <laughs> like, so it's hilarious that people were were so enthused about undrip being being implemented. And I'm like, it's a great concept. Like, yeah. what a you know, it all if, looks good on paper, but I mean, all look if, good with filters if, if on. It's
0: so the government, right? Just that's all it is. Yeah. Just a Party <laughs> and it just tries to make them mm-hmm. look. Good. But really, what needs to happen is for them to recognize our nations for what they actually are, because. Yeah at the end of the day, what they're doing is, well, genocide. And, you know, they keep perpetuating it by implementing these different governance things like chief and council, like referring to AFN, like, come on, you know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You actually are supposed to go to these people and they're set in place. We are alive. We exist. And it's their yeah. responsibility to be following up with us, not with whoever these people are that they've put there in order to perpetuate their system for them you know, that's what, that's why they're there, like, oh, people say, oh, what about your chief and council, don't they speak for you, well, no, no, they don't, actually, (laughs) they, they speak for themselves, and they speak for that colonial entity that wants to take your shit, and, (laughs) you know, be gone, you know, so that's what Fifteen is doing, is effectively taking away our voices, you know, like, so.
1: Actually, I think it's hilarious that um, well I don't I mean it's not hilarious but it's 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 quite amusing to me that um, that people say you know chief and council has this or people have the assumption or this misconception that chief and council has this power and and they don't recognize they don't. that chief and council is paid by the government so that's like asking your own employee to do a review on you know on on a on a rating site or something like you can't ask your employee for permission to do something it just doesn't even make sense and it's not just that but i'm like they're paid by monies held in trust like and people don't seem to understand that either that you know their paychecks literally come from stripping our lands of everything
0: exactly completely destroying everything around and then you know they look at the tar sands and stuff like that and they they're like oh well whatever they they completely ignore that but then Mm -hmm. that is kind of like a physical picture of what our lives have turned into since they have started doing that right all across the board like they've been raping murdering pillaging all the way across and creating legislation to justify what they've been doing like Mm -hmm. And then when we look back at it, like you said, they've been doing this for 500 years. They've been creating this legislation. They've been practicing for 500 years. But compared to our, our ways and our laws and our, our traditions and cultures, we've been doing this here for thousands of years. So mm-hmm. if we were to look at what we were supposed to be doing, the way that we're supposed to be following and all these different things, this 500 years is a little blip compared to how long they've been doing it. So what they need to do is recognize that they're the little brothers here when they yeah. came here they needed help yeah. right if it wasn't for indigenous peoples here they would not be they would not be here yeah they, maybe <laughs> they would have found a way eventually yeah. but you know
1: actually they wouldn't, wouldn't
0: survive the first
1: that was one of my favorite quotes and I love that your show is called um uh, beside the tracks because one of one of my favorite videos was um the part where I think it was Nick Kobelsack. um I don't know if I, that I'm yeah so the part where yeah. he says where he goes up to the, he O.P. Says, up to the, the O.P. and he just lays into and them right away Came. They were hired. They were hungry. Our ancestors, and he completely, it was such a powerful moment because he's telling these entities that are the you know the most aggressive part of the colonial capitalist state. It, he's telling them the truth. And I think speaking the truth is so incredibly important, even if people don't hear it, or even if the oppressor doesn't hear it, or the person who's trying to oppress. Um, it's important because it's it's in that video, and it's now. I mean, with with media today, everything's like kept on record, right? So, I think it was incredibly important that uh, that he put out that message, and it was a powerful, powerful message. So.
0: It one
1: of my moments of shutdown down Canada was uh that that very you know impressive statement
0: it was and you know that's why I um made this show beside the tracks is this kind of a weekly jab at the government to remind them you know we were never on it it was you guys that lied it was you guys that mm-hmm. shut it down and it was you guys that are perpetuating the genocide to this day so mm-hmm. tune in <laughs> you know um but yeah it's it's just it was strong and you know like every so often I'll see it pop up again and I have to watch it because yeah just raw and to the point you know (laughs) so um you know if we can all speak like that you know have that kind of fire inside of us because we all do you know sometimes it's some of us get to that point where we're like you know what enough is enough it's time for me to start saying something and then you know the people that Aren't ready to speak yet, they're there fueling you and, you know, keeping you going and like reassuring that there is somebody there, that you're not alone, that, you know, and then that's kind of the point of this too is, you know, so we can all connect across Turtle Island and raise those voices up so that we can show that, you know, we're not alone. It's not just one group here, one group there, and it's not just little factions like this, but it's actually Indigenous people across Turtle Island that are coming together because. The whole mindset now is we need to decolonize we're at the point now we've done the work now it's time to get it done you know so we've done mm. the work for all these generations and now we're at the turning point and we can see it because we're at an environmental disaster as well you know mm. they're finally considering indigenous ecological knowledge and saying oh my god we need to let these people do what they are supposed to do because that was actually preserving everything which is like we said before, land defenders, right? We're stewards of the land. We come from it. We're a part of it. You know, like you said, how do you jail the land? <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: it's um, yeah, it's. I mean, connecting with each other and like the the idea of decolonizing settler foe and you know allies need to number one become accomplices they can't just remain allies they need to be able to do the work um and number two i think that there needs to not only be the um the idea of decolonizing for us um and for you know people's other people's like uh their mentality, the, of course they need to decolonize, but they also need to start looking at indigenizing, you know, their concepts of what is economy. Would, for them, economy. the economy is like this monetary wealth or monetary gain or extracting, you know, extraction projects and like, and taking whereas right. for us economy our economy is based on like our community our knowledge our women uh, our our lands and waters our animals how healthy our environment is so i mean that those two things we can look at like tearing things down but at the same time we need to be able to look at building things up as well which would be like building up our our ideas and making sure that we because if we expend so much energy on decolonizing and taking away from what people have already learned, um, you know, it, it gets it gets tiring, it's, As, it's exhausting.
0: Um, what I found the best way to do it is um, give people other suggestions about, well, what if this actually happened, you know? And then let them mm-hmm. run with it. And if they mm-hmm. ask some kind of ridiculous question, which does happen sometimes, I'll just let it sit. And then they'll come back to me and ask it a different way. You know, and it's like, hey, you did some reading you know and it's yeah. really cool to see that because sometimes you see like like we say the settler allies right you see them going out there and they wave their signs but they stop short of actually doing something yeah. you know and then by actually doing something like reading something or doing a bit of research or following a page even you know mm-hmm. those different kinds of things are a part that they can do in uh being an ally you know because you you know, we haven't seen much. And then, like you said, um, they have to stop, you know, being afraid of whatever the repercussions are going to be, you know, because we do it because that's our life. You know, we do it because we're trying to preserve our very essence of being. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is they need to understand that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I think that they are getting there Um, what, what do you see as a, as a settler ally? Well, look, what does that look like to you?
1: Well, I think, I think, uh, the idea of settler allies are the people that are usually kind of in the background and support. And for me, the people that send messages and, you know, say nice things, read the page or like the post or whatever, um. Or the people at you know union schools that or labor organization conferences that that are like great work and you know good job but the accomplices are the people that are like what can i do
0: yeah
1: i want to do this you know i had people that um that were automatically went to when things started going on in in our territories um in February I was at a a labor congress school and I had people that were settlers that were absolutely didn't know much about it at first but I went and spoke to a couple of classes and some of them were from the Ontario Federation of Labor and they automatically they said you know what can we do can we start um, you know, letter writing, and I said you can start by getting your labor organization, and by getting you know everybody within that your labor organization connects with to put out statements of support, because political parties rely heavily on um, large groups of people, and a lot of those are organizations, right? Right. So. I said, if they hear that there's discontent or people are unhappy with what's happening, and you know they rely on that support from big groups, um, they're less likely, or I guess they would be more likely to speak out against everything that's going. So, I think those—that's what an accomplice looks like. An accomplice looks like the people that that actually do go and you know take to the streets. An accomplice looks like somebody that. I had somebody um, book a night at the cabins here for me um, because I was at the end of my rope. I'm tired, like I am exhausted, and I just and they could tell. Um, a couple of my posts had had just been me just being like I'm I'm done. Like I can't I can't I read all my messages and. I read all the comments, um, maybe not immediately, but I do. And it, it is exhausting and it's, it's emotional labor and it's, it's hard because, um, you know, there, there's, there becomes a responsibility that um, comes with a page, as you know, and with a podcast and with having a platform and to make sure that I am doing everything, you know, that I possibly can to, Continue to be aligned with um, our core values and our our system, um, but being able to have my own voice and personalize it is tiring work. And it's you know I just made a post earlier today about um, about you know how how much even a single post um, can just change my way of thinking and. I think that when I have when I have um, accomplices reach out and say, like, can I make a post about something or can I bring information forward to you? Um, Can I do something like what do you need done? Those are accomplices. Allies are great. great support but accomplices are the ones that are actually willing to step up and do the work and I think that is so incredibly important and they're also the people that are willing to you know do the reading and to do the research that I don't know at all Uh, you know nobody knows everything so I think that other people who are not emotionally invested in this and who it doesn't directly affect Need to actually start stepping up and doing some of that work, carrying the load. And I know that it's a fine line for a lot of people. I know there are a lot of people that say, like, I don't want to overstep my bounds or I don't want to speak about something that I don't, you know, I don't have the right to speak about. Um, I understand that. But I also think that sharing information, amplifying Indigenous voices, um, you know, Standing at the forefront of any fight or any struggle, being out there, like, stepping back, not taking, like, I know there are some organizations out there that have, um, they're, they're white-run organizations, and they consider themselves allies, but they're capitalizing uh, and monetizing Indigenous information and Indigenous voices, and, um, there are some, there are some that are indigenous organizations that are, their media is completely run by white males. And I'm like, that's not acceptable either, because that's not, that's not a settler being an ally. That's a a settler capitalizing off of our knowledge and off of our platforms. And that's, that's the exact opposite. That's like the, the epitome of a colonial capitalist right there.
0: Absolutely. One of the one of the great things like you said how people would reach out and um that'd be an accomplice one of the people um from one of the universities reached out to me and asked permission to use something that I'd written and that for me was Mm -hmm. a relief you know because some of my stuff out there claimed as somebody else you know and I'm like well that happens you know Mm -hmm. and this person to have actually reached out and said hey can I use this and blah 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 you know it's like it's that to me that, that's something that matters. You know, those are little things to, uh, like, settler community people because that's what they do within their own communities. Hey, can I use this? Or, hey, can I quote you out and that? They never do that to us. Yeah. You know? And then when they start using resources, like, people, actual Indigenous people, it's a relief, you know? It mm-hmm. kind of made me a bit easier. Like, oh, finally, somebody's, like, doing... So- like, it wasn't about me. It was about somebody taking the initiative to actually you know, say this is, the, I actually got this from Indigenous people and here's the proof, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, that's, and it's that, so, that great. Yeah, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for your platform. It was funny because I think when I first, um, when I first saw your posts and whatnot, I was like, who is this person? And I know I shared quite a bit, but I know I definitely paid a lot of attention to your page because you would say the things that other people didn't necessarily um, want to say or just wouldn't say. And um, I had just seen actually uh, um, something today, a quote today that, that really resonated with me. And it was that um, if you reconsider what you're saying around your white friends, um, and you stop yourself from saying it because you don't wanna make them uncomfortable or you're afraid that they're no longer gonna be friends with you, that is white supremacy um, yeah. in action, and I found that you didn't do that. Like you said, what needed to be said, and that's empowering for other people um, because then it's like, yeah, like this person's speaking the truth. Like, why wouldn't I? And mm-hmm. I censored my stuff somewhat um, just just because I, I I wouldn't want to put on anything on there that. Um, my Denise 8 and Saka 8 wouldn't approve of um, right. I know I, I do you know I have done a couple of posts where I'm like fuck the police or you know yeah. ACV whatever but I mean that's kind of I think that's kind of the consensus everywhere right now so I think that's pretty normal but okay.
0: um, those up, it's usually because something heavy just happened so
1: <laughs> yeah 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 and being an Indigenous person, there's always something heavy that happens with the, uh, with the police, right? So, um, and, and with the injustice system. So, I mean, c- content like that is going to come out from time to time for sure. Definitely.
0: That's, it's some super important and for everybody to be able to, you know, use their voices and use their song, use everything that they have, like, because their culture is what they make, what makes them, you know, your identity is who you are. Mm-hmm. And if you don't claim that and if you don't just claim your identity and run with it, then, you know, nobody's going to be able to support you or be around you, you know? And Mm -hmm. sometimes you'll feel like you're alone because sometimes people, you know, they just don't understand or they're not ready for it. Or, you know, it's, it's a scary world to live in when you're doing this kind of work, you know? Um, But then just to know that there are other people out there, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a good thing. And, you know, it's good to see other people rising up and using their voices and just stop caring about, you know, what are they going to think if I say this? Because at this, we're at the point in time now where we have to stop caring about what they're going to think, because that's only going to make it worse if we care about what they think, you know? Like, um, it's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't have that empathy for them, for when they hear the truth, they're going to be shocked, right? And yeah, we can empathize with them. But at the same time, we got to be straight up and tell them, you know, this is happening and it needs to be fixed, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's we've come to the point in time where um, where we have to make that decision, like which of the roads we're going to go down, right? And I don't think that that's just a uh, society as a whole when it comes to like environmental, co- like, cl- you know, climate crisis. I don't think that it's just come to like um, the, you uh, the abuse of like the capitalist system and um infractions on human rights or human rights violations it hasn't just you know come to that fork in the road with with, like a war and authoritarian regimes it's come to that point with each person like personally uh for a lot of people where people are starting to have to make that decision where are you going to speak out or are you going to sit there silently and i think that it's awesome that you know well i think that part of it is is because of covid and people you know not not really having a choice um people have, like a lot of people have fallen um to these like really desolate and destitute states because there hasn't there's not a proper support system for them within the colonial capitalist system so i think that you know speaking out is kind of your your only option it's it's like It's like screaming when somebody attacks, like somebody, you know, comes up to you at night and they look like they're going to attack you, but, or they're just following you. Well, you're not gonna scream right away, right? Right. But then they attack you and you have to scream. And that's basically, that's colonial capitalist system. It's been following us, you know, it's been doing that, like um, following closely behind us and creeping up and creeping up. And now it's fully attacking us and we don't have an option but to scream and to be loud and make sure that our voices are heard.
0: And there's no more smoke and mirrors either. They're doing it right in front of our faces. Yeah. Right. So it's definitely time for us to just start speaking up because there's they're not even there's they're not even covering it up anymore. Like yeah. at least they word play and try to be fancy about it, like what, 10, 15 years ago. But now, no. Yeah. No. Nope, right, straight up genocide. <laughs> Yeah. No, you don't do that. Well, how about we just do it? <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah, it's, it's pretty we- brazen, and I mean, it's uh, it's definitely it for for myself. Like I I look um, or I think back to to four years ago when Trump first got in, and yep. and my my mom turned said to me, she said, do you think that people are more racist now um, that Trump's that Trump's in or that you know, there's more racism? And I said, no, I said, it's always been there. I said, just now it's just, it's straight up. It's in your face. People feel emboldened and empowered to say racist shit, like right out in the open. So I said, yep. this, is, this has always been here for, for people of color, you know, this has always been prevalent
0: absolutely it's always been here it's never not been a thing like it's straight up in their legislation that we're not even human you know like when it comes Mm -hmm. down to it they they don't care there's not a care in the world and the only thing that was hiding it was social standards and those social standards were ripped away when they elected a white supremacist to be the leader of the free world as it were (laughs) so they saw that and then you know our our guys up here they decided okay well well if they can do it how come we can't so then you know instead of being white supremacists behind doors silently stealing our women and children they just straight up opened up and said we're doing it and you know they have flags everywhere they have everything everywhere and oh it's just so yeah it's been here it's always been here it's just emboldened by the fact that they elected one and so. I
1: think it was—I think it was almost good um, in a in a way. I mean, not yeah. not good that people are racist. I mean, the people that are racist are trash. But I think mm-hmm. that it was good that people were just coming forward and just openly saying it. Because I'm like, I don't want to—I don't want to have to sit and try and figure out, you know, whether somebody is or not. I got better things to do with my time. Like, just straight up say it. And guess what? We don't have to be anywhere near each other. Exactly. Um, so it was kind of, it was a little bit uh, put me, it put me at ease. I mean, obviously, it made me feel like there was a chance that I could be targeted, especially yeah. after I shake my head, you know, um, then people are like, ah, radical left and whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think that it, it made me very, um, it, it made me not question people around me as much, because racism started coming out or the people that were justifying, you know, racist um, situations or situations where there was like a very apparent racism, people that were like, oh, well, they should have just complied. Like those people, yeah. I was like, oh, good to know you're, you're racist. Like, that's all mm-hmm. I need to know. And thank you for sharing that. Cause it makes my life so much easier.
0: So it does. they can filter themselves out. Yeah. That was yeah. one good that was the filtering of the supremacists (laughs) and it's always good to see you know whose side they're on and who you're dealing with and where they're dealing with instead of have go guess around you know (laughs) yeah yeah
1: i mean i think that racism is is fairly um inherent it's it's ingrained in our systems but i think that it's also something that um there, there are a lot of people out there that, even though they do benefit from it, that do have uh, good hearts and do want to see things change. Um, I don't think that, I think it's really difficult for people that benefit from racism, which is like every settler, every white person out there. Um, I think that it's very difficult for them to actually take action and, you know, say like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do and it's gonna be uncomfortable because it it is uncomfortable it's hard but I think that the people that see the truths of what have happened like what we've been through and um the BIPOC community as a whole um what people have endured or people of color in general I think that the more that they see you know what we've gone through and the the discomfort and the um you know the the abuses and the murders and the genocide um the more that people can see that the more that they're willing to step out of their comfort zone and you know maybe go without a few things here and there go without the uh the the luxury of living living comfortably and complacent you know right. and maybe some of them will do the work
0: yeah that's definitely important like um yeah, I can't see any other way for it to go. Yeah. Um, one more thing, too. We were going to talk about um, Keystone for a second, because so many people were excited about that, right? They were, like, pumped. They're like, oh, it's canceled. It's it's not going through anymore. What does that actually mean?
1: Um, well, I think that it means that the economy is taking a dive and that... Uh, there, there wasn't an actual economic need for it anymore or it wasn't gonna be economically feasible. But I also think that it means that those investors, those same investors are gonna be investing their money into other areas. And it means that there's gonna be more pressure put on um, in, in that was for the export of Dilbit. Uh, so any any other pipeline that's going to be able to carry that is going to be very necessary now. So even though, you know, it's not going to be transported south, it's going to, they're going to push for it to be transported west. So right. that's just all that much more pressure put on to um, people like Canahoose with Tiny House or squatmic people in general. Like there, there are a number of different groups that are fighting this and West Coast protectors like, all of these people are gonna see more um, pressure put on them um, because the, because corporations and the government are gonna put more pressure on them. Even though these are not, um, these are like these oil and gas projects don't even make sense. Like it's, I mean, I guess, I guess in a way they do for, for a capitalist because they can invest um, huge, huge amount of, a huge amount of money into these projects. And then when the projects fail, um, because of the, what was it, the Terrace Act? Um, because if, if a project fails and they've signed an agreement with the so-called Canadian government, um, the investors actually get reimbursed. Huh.
0: That's a little bit ridiculous
1: like disasters, um, even if the project's canceled. And as long as the, um, the contractors on the project, you know, finished or complete two thirds of the project, they get paid out for that two thirds of the project. And often when they put their bids in, they're, um, they're over overestimating, you know, so they get, they make these huge amounts of money, they tear up our land whether the Dilbit actually runs or not. um, You know, it's the same with Coastal GasLink. I don't, I can't see the, you know, the project going to completion, just, we, you know, I've seen things like um, the senior engineers on Coastal GasLink all quit, uh, like the environmental engineers, the uh, CEO, or not CEO, what was he? It was the president of Coastal GasLink, David Pfeiffer, he quit. Like, there are a number of people that, that are within these, these projects and these industries that know that these are not viable projects, but they're continuing so that they can seem like they're viable projects and they'll, they'll push as much as they can. So, I mean, the most that we can do is put pressure on them and say, like, this, the resistance of, of everybody that not going to stop. And the more people that we can get on board, like... Um, and being vocal, like the more people we can get to be vocal about their opposition, and the more support that we can show to these other like the front lines movements that are facing off against Trans Mountain, um, the better. The more pressure that we can put on, on other organizations and getting them to say like, do you have a, a climate plan? Is there a climate plan like why would you have you can't have unionized workers then contributing to climate crisis if you have a climate plan within your labor organization right um it's the same like the well don't even get let me start on ndp um <laughs> like but putting pressure on them <laughs> like you know ndp talks about jobs and like the future and whatnot but you can't sit and talk to me about the future if you're actually destroying and actively supporting the destruction of the future, you know, for for all these generations to come. It's ridiculous.
0: And uh, what I see too with the cancellation is investors turning to these other pipelines and more money going to these other pipelines means more money for their militarized police and more money for fighting indigenous people, more money for all of those things, which is why it's more important for us to start using our voices and rising up more and more. And like you said, actually having those settler accomplices rather than just settler allies, you know, those people that actually make things work and make things happen and come to us and actually ask what they can do, you know, because it's that's one thing that's really important is for them to actually listen, you know, listen yeah. and do what they're told rather than tell us what we need done because mm-hmm. Um, that settler community has a tendency to do that. They've been doing that since contact, telling us what we need best. But in reality, we need to turn the tables and tell them, no, this is what we need. We need you to do this, you know? So um, it's important that people, you know, realize that because yeah, maybe one thing got shut down. We know it wasn't viable, but at the same token, all those investors are going to go somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, and there are still how many other projects that that are ongoing and they're still they're still pushing and the thing is is that like some of the investors will start investing in other projects where they just won't um they won't publicize it uh and it won't get out there as much like I think that's why it's important I think a lot of people don't um you know there are different there are different um, media outlets that focus solely on oil and gas and what oil and gas companies are investing in and where they're going. Like a lot of people that are against the colonial capitalist structure uh, don't pay attention to like, to investors and backers as much. Like it's it's very much focused on the actual project but it's good to make sure that we stay informed and maybe that can be one of the roles of, uh, of accomplices is focusing on like where the finances are coming from where the right. finances are you know who what other projects they've they've backed um, you know there we have like Mitsubishi is one of the investors in coastal gas link and um, surprisingly enough uh, this coal bed methane mine that's proposed on Gitamden den territory mm-hmm. again um, is one of the investors is linked to Mitsubishi so I I'm like if we look at it I'm like how you know how viable is a coal bed methane mine like an open pit mine I don't think that it's very I don't think that that's the reason that they're going in there I think it's because there are huge um pockets of of um that coal bed methane in there or it's supposed to be no they say sorry they said it was supposed to be a metallurgic mine um, coal mine but they found coal bed methane pockets in there so I I don't think that they're actually using it for the metallurgic coal I think that it's so that they can transport out these pockets or these pockets of gas um, because it's also right on the route of where the coastal gas link project is Um, but again the investment so the investors with Keystone XL, who are they? Like, what else are they investing in? Um, right. And if we trace all of that back, like we look at um, some of the, uh, somebody was talking about the other day, um, the investors of Coastal Gas Link, um, some of them are linked to possibly organized crime organization, like, or organized crime. So, right. I'm like, well, maybe people should be looking into this more and accomplices can do this kind of work because guess what, I don't want to, I don't necessarily have time, but I also don't necessarily want to like overload. I've got enough to think about like on a day-to-day basis, like surviving, right? So I mean,
0: it's- We hear- Yeah, we hear settlers, um, they're always crying about transparency. We need transparency and we need this and that. Then we can say, okay, Mm -hmm. Well, be an accomplice and look into these investors, see where all their money's going. And then, you know, we can kind of get ahead of the game. (laughs) You know, that's that's the kind of thing we can, you know, like by taking those steps, they could give us some kind of advantage, you know, like Mm -hmm. like we already have all of everything that we have, all of our traditions, all of our culture, all of our knowledge, all of the ancestral power, we have that. And then Mm -hmm. for them to be the accomplice and say, here, Look at what's happening. It gives us that much more leverage. Yeah. So, yeah, that's perfect. Is there anything else you wanted to talk to today?
1: Um. No, I don't. I, I think we, we covered a lot. So, yeah. oh, I know what I want to talk to you about. I, yeah. I'm going to need you to send over some of your coffee because okay. the two-row coffee. Because I got this, I don't usually... I drink usually smaller brands like um, Bows and Arrows coffee, but yeah. I've had to drink this Tim Horton's lately, so.
0: Yeah, we'll send some Two Row Coffee out there for you. And for anybody yeah. else, you can get their coffee at tworowcoffeeco.ca. We have Landback Bold, uh, it's my favorite, it's good in the cappuccino. We got Seven Oaks and we have uh, Eastern mm-hmm. Door Miles. You can get that at uh, the pot shop at 5403 Old Highway 2, Tyndanaga Mohawk Territory. And uh, we'll see if we can get some out there. So people in six nations have a spot to go and, you know, pick some up as well, but we can also, we have the uh, uh, wetsuit and solidarity t-shirts. They can get them at Mohawk solidarity.com. And uh, I can't remember how much they are, but it doesn't matter. You know, (laughs) we're proud. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor talking to you today, Um, learned some things. And I'm so happy. We finally got a chance to talk.
1: Yes, me too. And I hope that we get to do it again.
0: Absolutely. I definitely want to have you on a lot more.
1: Perfect. Awesome. Thank awesome. you, Angela.
0: Yeah, Ona.
1: Ona.